Coach, Coach Jimmy. Yeah. Those, by the way, are are so funny, man. Uh, oh, thanks, Paul. I appreciate I, that. I love those. Those are meant to be serious, by the way, and <laughs> that's his next DVD series. up everyone and welcome back to another exciting edition of jimmy conrad needs a doctor yes that is the name we're going with and i love it because my name's in the title i don't know about you dr lee are you feeling the same way well i do like the name and uh there has been discussions in our house about the name but i think <laughs> we've discussed that it is the right thing to do for the purposes of the show and it can change in time i mean we change every 10 episodes is what I heard. <laughs> that was a really polite way of saying that your family loves me. I think that's what I'm picking up from what you said. <laughs> always, always. Always, always. Well, we're excited to have a very special guest joining us today. He's the Academy Director for the Houston Dynamo, Paul Holliker. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of scared to get on the show with you three, but uh, I, I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, I want to make sure that everybody has some context about who you are because you went to the University of Santa Clara and played for Steve Sampson, which I think we could talk 30 minutes just about that alone. And then you got you were co-champion of of winning the NCAA champion. Yep. Like how do you become a co-champion? Can we take a split second to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, first first ever. Um yeah, Virginia, we played forever, Jimmy. It, it was freezing. It was in Rutgers. And we played for like, I don't know, four overtimes. And um, we just called it a co-championship. You didn't go to penalties? What are, what are penalties for if you didn't go to penalties? They changed it, I think, the next year. But we were undefeated that year, so we had the number one ranking. So we'll, we'll take the, the, the championship. <laughs> wait, wait, was that, was that Claudia Reyna on that University of Virginia team? No, it was uh, Miola. Oh, wow. Kurt Anolfo. You know, those guys, it was a good team, good team. And we played Indiana in the uh, the semifinal. Wow, fun Came fact. Back from 2-0 down, 1-4-2 against Indiana, but it was freezing. And I think uh, Alexi Lawless was playing as well. That's right. So fun fact, when I won the national championship, we beat Indiana in the semifinals and beat Virginia in the finals. So, Paul, you and I are BFFs, baby. Let's go. I, I feel that, Jimmy, you're a little selfish for not sharing the title that you won. Uh, like Paul shared his. So yeah, maybe we revisit that on a different episode. Absolutely not. Ben Olson was on that Virginia team. I'm not sharing anything with that little hairy bastard. Uh, <laughs> different conversation. I love Ben Olson. He's he's amazing, but I'm not sharing anything with him. Now, Paul, you had a, a professional career. And my first question with regard to this was that you emerged out of college when MLS wasn't around yet yep. and NASL had folded. So you're really in this kind of purgatory in some ways with regard to what do I do now? And I feel like when you come out of college, you have these ambitions and dreams to be a professional athlete. And you realize some of them, there wasn't really like this full-fledged, you know, uh, professional league. So, so what did you do at that point? And, and yeah, I'll just start there. I'm going to start. There. No, I mean, it was really an interesting time. We're talking back in 1991. So you're right. I grew up with NASL, North American Soccer League. I grew up in Seattle and it was thriving, right? I'd go to the Kingdom, and I mean, they'd have 50,000 people in the Kingdom with the Sounders and the Cosmos, and it was unbelievable. Then it went into this, you know, this time period where, you know, we didn't have that top professional league. And then the American Professional Soccer League came up, right? The old APSL. 
And so when I was growing up through that, that time, guys like Dominic Kinnear, John Doyle, Troy Dyack, they all started on the San Francisco Blackhawks, right? Um, and there was probably, there was, I think, six to eight teams in, in the league. So believe it or not, the quality of play was quite high, right? Because all these players were consolidated on these teams. And I was lucky enough, I was at Santa Clara, I was lucky enough that we had one of the teams in the area, right? The, the Blackhawks. So, yeah. um, you know, obviously Santa Clara is right there in, in your guys' backyard now. Um, and I was, I was drafted. I was lucky enough to be drafted by the Blackhawks. And it was a great team, great experience. Did that feed into – so how long were you there before it transitioned into the MLS? What was that, about yeah. three, yeah. four years? It was 91. I graduated in 91. I played with the Blackhawks for three years. Yeah. Uh, 91 to like 94. And then right. I, went to, I went to Vienna. I played at Admira Wacker in, in uh, the Austrian Bundesliga. Bundesliga's little brother. Okay. Um, and uh, I did that for a year, and then I came back to play in the MLS because it was it was gonna it was about to begin, and it actually uh, got delayed a year, and so I played in what was the United Independent Soccer Leagues of USISL. Yeah, you Sizzle. did. Yeah, we did, huh? You sizzle. And so you know that was me, and that was us in those 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 years, and then. Um, did that for for a year, and then the league took off in 1996. So I was drafted by San Jose, which was great. And then I, I did the first few years in, in Major League Soccer. Yeah. So, yeah. No, no, keep going. Keep going. No, I mean, that was – it was really, really interesting times because you don't – you didn't really have – I honestly, guys, you know, my senior year is like, all right, wh- wh- where's, where am I going to get my job, right? You know, mm-hmm. I, there was no league. Right. So, you know, I got a phone call and, hey, you know, Van Voorhees would like to draft you or they're thinking of drafting you. And Bravo got drafted, Beicher, myself. Right. And we were we were getting paid, I think, six months out of the year, you know. And then in the off seasons, what we would do, and this is great and because it was actually a really good experience in the off seasons, we would do clinics. Right. right. And we paid 60 bucks a shot. And we'd yeah. go to these clinics and all these schools. So, I mean, I'd go out with, you know, Dominic Kinnear. We'd go do an elementary school and put on a dog and pony show, of, you know, juggling all this stuff in front of kids. And yeah, go to a kinder care and, and do a clinic for like four-year-olds. So it was a really interesting time because we were just trying to figure out how to, how to make it all work. Is that, where you, got the, is that where you got the bug to coach? Uh, we de- definitely, because yeah. in the off seasons, we had to coach because we had to make money. Right. 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 And, and so we do camps and we do all sorts of different things. So, um, yeah, we piecemealed it together for yeah. a while. And then, you know, that's why I say that first game, that first major league soccer game was really special. Yeah. Because we had, because we had seen it, we had played in high schools, right. We right. played on, on these different fields. We'd been very part-time or, or, uh, less than it is now, let's say. Right. And, yeah. uh, when that first MLS game happened and, we were sequestered tonight. We went to uh, Biltmore Hotel downtown San Jose, yeah. right? And Dan or you know, they put us up and in, uh, in that, you know, and we drove up on the bus and we were like, "Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable!" I came in the league in '99, and what I found interesting was that 
I thought the quality of the teams were very good, as you mentioned before, with the APSL, because you had to make the 18-man roster. There was no reserve yeah. league. There was no academy. There was nothing like that to go continue to, to be seen in a different light by the coaching staff in a different way. You had to make yeah. the 18 and, and play well in training. I, I remember the D.C. United teams in the early parts of MLS. Every single starter was a national team player for one of the, one of the countries that they represent. Yeah. It's and true. you don't you don't have that anymore. Now you have maybe four guys that start yeah. in a lineup that represent their national team. And, and so I think to to Lee's point, it's it's how much has the league changed in terms of, yeah. you know, a, a, in terms of player development and, and opportunity? Well, it's, it's obviously a ton more opportunity, right? More teams, you know, more opportunity, you know, more, um, you know, incentive to play young players, to sign young players, which I think is healthy, really fantastic. You know, and, um, you know, if you're a young player now growing up, you know, and you're a good player and you're motivated, I mean, you've really got something to look towards. Right. And uh, there's real there's real potential. And again, you know, when we were growing up, when I was growing up, we we didn't have that. It wasn't clear. You know, we were just we were just fans. Um, I do remember like on those Blackhawk teams, even that old APSL team, I remember I remember. Uh, the owner of the club was actually petitioning. He was he was quite he was quite a, a interesting guy, innovative guy. But he was petitioning to get us into the Mexican first division with the Blackhawks. How cool would that have been, right? Because we would have played, we would have gone flown down there and played all the Mexican teams home and away, and it would have just packed Spartan Stadium. So that's how we were thinking back then. Mm. And I remember going back, going down there and playing, you know. Like, you know, Tecos, we played Chivas and we were beating these guys, you know, with that APSL team. So it was really, it was really a cool time, but yeah, now, you know, it's just so professional and, um, but you can't, you can't forget the old school guys and you can't forget these old NASL guys and, and all these guys that kind of forged the way, you know, to make it a reality. And, um, but we're moving in the, the right direction in a great direction. Yeah. You talk about, um, you know, get those those kids having those opportunities at 14, 15, 16, 17. If you're self-motivated, if you can if you can have that desire, you'll have the opportunity. So we've had um, some guests on the show, one from Hercules Gomez. And we talked about unearthing talent and, and finding players. Right. Because you can be as motivated as you want to be at 14, 15, 16. But if people aren't looking for you, if that kid can't get a ride to training, if that kid can't afford training, are are you are we, are, do they really have the same opportunity as a, a local kid who can get the private training, this type of stuff? Um, what types, like, how do you, because you're at Houston Dynamo Academy, obviously, where there's it's a rich hotbed of talent down there in terms of, of different populations and different backgrounds. How are you guys, how do you guys bridge that gap? How do you find those players? That's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I'll give the Houston example. You know, it's a, it's a diverse city. It's the most diverse in the United States, right? So we have so many different cultures and populations and languages. It is a melting pot down here. You know, I'll give an example of one of the kids in the academy. One of the, the first days I arrived in Houston, I went to a, like a U.S. soccer national training identifier ID day. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a player that had just arrived in or arrived in pretty not, not so long ago from Congo. Right. And, um, 
wonderful player, talented player, right? And yeah, so ended up having to work with it, work with it, and, and over months trying to figure out how, first of all, how we can even get them to practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you just have to find the solution. Number one, you have to you have to search out the players, and you have to give them uh, give them um, give them solutions. So you know, another kid here in Houston, you know, you go to a lot of little independent leagues, right? That's what I was going to ask you. Where do you go? Where do you go to find the kids? Yeah, no, these, you have to find them. And there, there's, there's, you know, you have your big leagues or you have your, your, your sanctioned leagues, and then you have a lot of independent leagues here in Houston. Right. And you go out there and you find kids from all over the world, you know? Do you have a scouting yeah. group that goes out and gets out? Is that on your staff? Like how, how do you, how do you go about unearthing them? And at what age do you, do you attend most? Do you find? Um, well, it's all, all of the staff, you know, mm-hmm. we kind of try to organize a scouting group, you know, mm-hmm. um, some tipsters and everything else. I went to a little league called La Liga, La Liga Francesca, mm-hmm. right? A little league. And, and, and it's just unbelievable guys. I mean, I wish you could hang out there, just go there one day and see it and feel it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, found a little kid named Curtis, you know? Um, but you no, know, we try to organize, getting out to these leagues, you know, mm-hmm. and, and unearth these, these kids. Um, again, a lot of kids come from Central America. You know, a lot of families come here from Central America, from mm-hmm. Africa. Um, so I love that part of it. I yeah. really love it. And, you know, we, we definitely um, make it possible for the kids if, if, if we can to, to take care of them completely, to put them in this environment. Uh, Paul, I wanted to jump in because we asked about your backstory. I think that gives us some good context about how you lead as an academy director for Houston Dynamo. What did you learn or maybe what stood out for you the most through your career and what you went through and the obstacles that you went over to make sure that that's not happening now that you're in charge and you can pull the strings on how this this philosophy, let's say, of developing players is occurring yeah. under your watch? Yeah. Well, you know, when I was growing up, I had a, you know, I had a, uh, a dad coached me. Right. Um, and it was, it was great in that he, he was the first time he was, you know, compiling players together and he was, he was a dad and we went out there and played and, and did our thing, but you can't, you can't live in that past or like that is, Hey, that's, that was it. Right. Man. That, you know, I, 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 I did all right. That, here you have to have uh, a method to the development. I think that's really the key. One of the things that really inspired me when I was still a player uh, back in, um, or maybe a, a young coach. Yeah, I was a young coach. Was Ajax, you know? And the I don't know if you guys remember. You probably do, Lee. I know you do. But Ajax had these DVDs. Oh yeah, of course. Nineteen ninety nine, man. I remember getting all those DVDs. Yeah. And I'm looking at those, and and are they, they actually developing young players? They're actually putting thought into developing young players. I mean, for me, it was unbelievable to think of that, you know, yeah. that they have this methodology in this way and they're investing in the youth. And this is back in 99. Man, this is unbelievable. I want to do that. You know, I think that's cool. So, you know, you have those inspirations and you look back, but clubs have been doing this for 50 years, right? You know, with this type of systematic approach to development. And now our country is taking it very seriously. You know, and, and definitely the MLS is leading that charge. You know, so we have methodology, we have game model, we have physical performance coaches, 
you know, we have nutritionists, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to catch up to the top academies in the world in regards to how can we put these kids in an amazing environment, you know, to give them every opportunity to, to reach those next levels. Yeah. One of the things that maybe Jim, this question is for you, cause it's a, it's a comment as well as I listen to you guys when you come on and you guys are playing backgrounds that are getting back into coaching high, high level playing backgrounds. And you, that question comes out about, okay, well, like how is that impacting your coaching? Right. And the, the, the thing that I hear the most, and I'll maybe throw this back to you, Jimmy, and ask you, I hear you guys go, well, I thought about my coaching and what I liked about it. And a lot of you guys, it's a dad coach, right. Or a local guy coach because of the age you grew up. Coach, coach Jimmy. Yeah. Coach, <laughs> by the way, are, are so funny, man. Uh, I, oh, thanks, Paul. I appreciate I, that. I love those. Those are meant to be serious, by the way. And <laughs> that's his next DVD series. So um, uh, I love that. But I, I also, I hear you guys talk about, this is what I liked, or this is what impacted me. We had to fight, right? Because each of you have that in you. And same thing with Herc when he came on and Tom, and when we had Tom on. Uh, and you think about that, you had to fight, you had to grind, you had to push but I think we could have done these three or four things better and differently. And so you each have an opportunity to reflect on what you liked, right? Because I, as I think about it, I had a chance to reflect, but on not as much. And so I find myself leaning on my school background to make a, a big impact as well in terms of the psych side. But as I think about that, I hear that from you guys. And Jimmy, I would ask this to you. What, as you coach, you know, what are you changing or how do you use your background? Forget the grind and grit. We've talked about it. Because I, I would wonder what else you think in terms of that new methodology or ideas or thoughts as you've learned over time. For me, what jumps out when you ask that is just the attention to detail, mm. the little things that are actually going to help you elevate and elevate quickly if you can master these simple things. Obviously, well, maybe they're not simple. You, you got to have that proficiency in the technical and tactical area, but these little things that are going to help you elevate your game and, and maybe scale the ladder a little bit quicker. Those are the things that I wish I got. Those, that's the insight that I wish that I had on a more consistent level. I did have one coach in particular who I'm still good friends with and I owe a lot to because he did, he, he made me excited about, about the little things that some people bypass or don't care about as much, which ultimately make a big difference. So, so it would be a little bit of that. And, and actually what I wanted to ask now, you're, you're ant, or asking me a question, Lee, and I'm going to now throw it over to Paul. Now that I've gotten into coaching myself, one of the things that I've had trouble with is that my talent, and I know Lee can attest to this, my talent was commitment. That, that's my talent. It, it, I, I could do all the other things okay. That's a huge talent. It is. It is. Don't get me wrong. But I have trouble relating to players that I coach that don't share that same type of commitment when they tell me they want to be a pro. I'm like right. that. And then they, they don't show up. They're not doing the little things that I know is necessary. And it's hard for me to buy into what they're trying to sell, even though I think some of them are talented and I know they've got other stuff going on and I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. This is like, I'm pretty much, this is like over a six month span. Isn't just like one day I give up on them, but right. I, I don't know when to kind of let go and give that energy and time and attention to somebody else. The issue I have is, is usually the guys that aren't giving that commitment are my most talented. So yeah. it's just this really weird space. And so I didn't know yeah. if you ran into that as well. And if you did, I'm open to any kind of solutions you got. You're, you're, you're now Dr. Lee here for me for a second. Paul. <laughs> um, I have a, I have a lot of um, kind of ideas on this one, opinions on this one. Um, the, it depends a lot on the age, I think, because 
you should never give up on a player too easily or, or because they go through phases and, and it's all about a teaching process, right? Um, but yes, what you want is you want players to realize that it's going to take the grit that you're talking about, right? And the growth mindset. And what I'm, what I'm learning about this too, because I was a young coach too in 27, I was coaching UC Santa Cruz and I was coaching kids and, you know, coaching, you know, a bunch of different age groups. And um, what I've learned is that you're surprised, you will be surprised if you stick with it with players, you know, um, I'll give one example of, of a player uh, Matt Lagrassa, who just got his MLS debut yesterday for Nashville, right? Um, for me, he's the he's like the epitome of of what a young player should strive to be, right? I I recruited him at Cal Poly, and, and I, I I saw a desire, right? I know what you're talking about, Jamie, right? That that desire, right? That you want in a player. Um, and he, he did that, and he wasn't the most skillful. He wasn't the most tactical. Um, but he had a growth mindset, and he was ready to work, right? And so when I, when I started to talk to him about things, I said, I, I saw him when he was first coming in as a freshman. I went and watched one of his DA games. I'm like, oh, boy, you got some work to do, right? You know, technically, talk, this thing, he may he turning right into a defender, right? So he'd never been taught these things that were that you're talking about where, where earlier in my career I'd be like, oh boy, right? Now it's like, all right, I just need to now teach him these things, right? So I need to understand how I can help him develop on an individual level. So when he came to Cal Poly, even he even redshirted his freshman year. I redshirted him, right? He's playing in the MLS now which is awesome. That's character. Right. But he worked, you know, like, you know, he worked on his technical stuff. I mean, he, he, we would talk constantly, you know, I talked to him about his perception, his surveillance. And, you know, I, I chatted with him today on, on, um, on social media, we talked a little bit, but he's still, he's still growing. He's still learning, you know, he's still learning. I, and I love that. That's what we need. That's what we need to try to get in, in to our, uh, our cultures. It's, it sounds like <clears throat> coachability, right? And you're fishing, you're looking for, not fishing for, you're probing for, is this kid coachable, right? And yeah. Jimmy, which I'm sure you you do and you have plenty of patience for some of these older guys, but that's really what you're looking for, right? Do they, are, they, are they willing to, to listen? You know, are they willing to push back when it needs pushback? And, and, and growth mindset is just a really easy way to say, are you learning from your mistakes? Are you working hard? Are you trying hard? Are you willing to listen to get better? And I think that's massive um, for any of these kids. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the different ages um, because one of the things we've talked about is, um, okay, you've got these players and you, and you look at them and you, and you were fortunate enough to work with this age group that I'm going to ask about here in a second. You get these players now at your academy at 16, 17, 18. And then between 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, they kind of get there and they kind of don't. And, and we seem to now have a structure in the MLS where you've got the two teams, right? The second teams, right? And maybe the reserve league next year, the U23s or whatever you guys are talking about. But as we've had other guests on, um, namely a guy who was a coach at Manchester United, he talked about that we are pound for pound fine and, and equal at 15, 16, 17 with the European players. It's we, we 
we, we change and we lose them in that mid-tier age group. Um, I don't know, do you agree with that? And, and, and even just talk to that point about how you guys work with your kids that age. If I saw the games there week in, week out, and I, I, and I, and I have got a little taste of it, you know, the quality of like a youth Bundesliga, right? Or in England, I, I don't see it week in, week out, but I can imagine, you know, how good a PSG 17 or 19 team is, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know exactly what that is, but it has to do a lot with the culture mm-hmm. of their every day, you know, that maybe we can't yet replicate here. You know, I don't think it's necessarily that the, you know, maybe the coaches are any that much better or the players are that much better, but there's a cultural impact. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about it, the United States is, is not a, we're not a country. We're, we're a continent. You mm-hmm. know, we literally are a continent and, and um, we have to create like almost a countries within this continent, you know? Mm you know, regions within this continent and, and platforms within this continent. And we need to keep educating ourselves, but it, it's a cultural thing. You know, I, I do think we're making strides and we're, we're getting better. You know, um, Sounders won the GA cup, you know, a couple of years ago against top, top teams, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're closing that gap. You know, um, a lot of, a lot of clubs are. What so are some of the things you guys are doing with your 17s, 18s, 19s? Well, that's, you know, we're, you know, we have Tab Ramos here as our first team coach, Ken yeah. Bundy, awesome. pre-professional director. And literally we're, we drive our guys forward. We drive our top young players up, you know, they're, they're constantly playing up. Um, guys are getting invited into first team trainings, you mm-hmm. know, for the, uh, the COVID pandemic here, you know, we were playing against the first team with every Wednesday, you know, mm. 11 with tab against tabs groups and our academy groups. Those little things are, are really big in, in culture, right? And yeah. you, you need to have everybody on board, first team coach especially, right, that's open and, and excited about that. You know, and we, we just signed Juan Castilla. He signed when he was 15 years old. He's 16 now. Danny Rios, we just signed. Nico Lemoyne. So, you know, we're now getting more, more guys opportunity. And, um, you know, that's the first step. And then they got to play, you know, mm-hmm. you just got to have the courage to play them. Yeah. And get and them with, in there. With yeah. Tab Ramos in particular, it's clear that he's bought in. You're, you're signing all these young players. What kind of communication do you have with him with regard to potentially the players that he wants to be seen developed? If that makes sense. Right. Cause he's probably has his own ideology of, of how a player should be groomed and you have yours based on your experience. Yeah. Well, we, we have a really really good open relationship. We were, we, we meet every week, you know, in technical meetings, um, you know, general manager, tab, a pre-professional director, USL coach, we all meet together on these type of things. And, um, you know, we look to, we look to really talk about the players, which players we need to get in there, which players we need to integrate. Um, you know, we have a board, you know, um, we have a board of players in, in all the way down to U13s in different positions that that we look at and project out for four or five years, right? And um, so we, we have a good plan uh, going in, and it, there's a there's a system to it, and then you just got to do your job. For us, the most for for us, the philosophy is the training day is very important. That's the most important environment, 
is the, the training. So we, we need, when they walk onto the Houston sports park, right. We want it to be a very special environment, you know, and, um, you know, we want to do our best job possible when they, when they are in our, our guidance that we've done everything possible to help them get to those levels. So and it's great. Not every kid's going to be a professional. Yeah. You know, we had a bunch of boys go off to top, top colleges, which is great. They're going to go off to Virginia or going off to air force. And, and you never know with these guys too. A boy went off to Clemson who was on the verge of, of potentially signing. Right. Right. How, there. So how do you deal with, how do you, you added something else in mind, but that's a, that's actually an interesting uh, comment from you. How do you manage those kids and make sure that they get quality minutes, right? Because especially at 17, 18, if you look at them and you go, hmm, not fast tracking player X, Y, Z, but you know, players a through, you know, W a through W also need to be taken care of. How do you, how do you ensure that, that opportunity? Yeah, that games are, games are critical. They have to play games. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a combination. I, one good kind of um, thing I had heard before was, you know, training times competition or training plus competition times frequency. Mm-hmm. Right. So you got to train a lot. Yeah. You got to train a lot. If you want to be good, you got to train a lot mm-hmm. and you got to compete. And they have every, they have the same opportunities to compete as kids that are fast track. See, that's, that's really important because a lot of uh, places that I've seen uh, at the professional level don't always provide that opportunity across the board. Um, They decide and then that's how they move forward. Right. And I think one of the things that I, I know about you and I know about what you're trying to do there is culture. Right. And, and to create culture and all the things you've, you've talked about in this conversation about being open-minded, right. About, you know, thinking about um, integration with the first team and constant communication, right. And getting into the local area and starting, you know, dealing, uh, moving seven to 15, 16, 17, creating culture is very difficult and creating culture means you're providing opportunities for everybody to be successful. Right. Because you never know, because that kid who goes off to college and all of a sudden comes back a a, a man. Yeah. Could be. And it's also, you know, and I have to, sometimes I remind people about this too. I mean, we're not just doing this for the guy that's going to be a professional. No Mm -hmm. way. There's no way we're doing this for every kid. Every kid is equally important in in this whole project. It's about developing good people. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's about helping take the individual to their next level, whatever that might be. Absolutely. Every kid that doesn't be a, isn't a pro is, is also they're, they're, they're going to lead a great life. Right. And we want them to have a great life and love soccer and love the dynamo. And they, they're driving and constantly pushing guys. I mean, again, I'll go back to Matt LaGrasse. Matt LaGrasse wasn't drafted anywhere when he left college, mm-hmm. you know, he was making a, you know, couple hundred thousand or a couple a thousand dollars a month at Reno, right? So, so these guys, you know, if you if you develop good people, you know, with that grit, with that growth mindset, all that stuff, they 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 can go f- far places, you know. So, yeah. um, and 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 also, and, and this is something because I, I know you guys talked to Tom too. It, you know, everyone you know, talks about the elite player, right. In our country, the reality is the, the most important fate or most important ages are the grassroots ages. Mm-hmm. 
in my opinion, maybe not everyone's opinion, but I've been doing this for a long time now, and this is what I'm coming to, right? We're, we're talking about in, you know, investment and all that kind of stuff. The most important thing is you know, those early ages, and if we can really do a good job in those early ages of helping kids fall in love with the ball, mm-hmm. right, then they'll fall in love with the game, right? Yeah. And we don't give that that phase enough credit, I don't think, you know, and that's one of the things we're trying to do here in, in, in Houston is create a culture where, um, you know, children, all children are valued. You know, all children can play soccer. All children can all children can have um, an individual pursuit to get more skillful. I mean, what an awesome thing that is. Right. If a kid. If a kid is seven years old, right, he may never be a high level player and go off to college and go off to this, but he falls in love with a soccer ball. He falls in love with learning to do a skill. And hopefully he's a season and, ticket holder in <laughs> years. I mean, seriously. Yeah. 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 Seriously. He falls in love with the game, right? Yeah. And that, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, it's, it's so important. Yeah, Paul, you were mentioning previous guest, Tom Beyer, and I know that he helps with you guys and helping your methodology, as you mentioned. And uh, we're both, Lee and I, huge Tom Beyer fans. So you don't have to sell anything to us about him. He's amazing. I did want to ask you something, though, because this stuck with me for, well, for many years. I was coaching, very similar to you, uh, back in the day to help supplement some income. And the kids that were coming out, and at this point, I don't know, maybe this is seven or eight years ago, but the kids that were coming out, I asked them, what are you guys doing at, at your, your teams? I'm like, how, you know, how many how, frequency, like how many week, days a week are you guys training? And they said, oh, four days a week. I'm like, great, four days. That's amazing. And like, yeah, we got games on the weekend. Okay, great. A couple games on the weekend, four days a week. I said, okay, out of that time that you're spending, how much of it are you getting to play and think for yourself? And, and then conversely, essentially, or the, the flip side of that is how much are you being told what to do in drills and how to play and all this stuff? And they basically told me, these are kids maybe from eight years old who probably aren't as sophisticated with their answers to teenagers. Like 95% of the time, they're being told what to do. And so I think we've become a victim of this methodology in some ways where we're overtraining but not giving our kids enough free time to have personalities and have flair. Because if you look at our national team, we don't have too many guys that on both sides, uh, the male and female side, that maybe have that. Tobin Heath obviously has the sauce for the women. For sure. Yeah. And then we have Christian Pulisic, who I think stands out for us on the men. Yeah. But but we're not it doesn't seem like we have any Ronaldinho's coming up or any, you know, Neymar's. Not that I know people are rolling their eyes, the guy dives a lot, whatever. But he still has a personality and yeah. drives the people and, and wants to uh, impact the game in a positive way. And so I wonder specifically to the Houston Dynamo, what you guys do to empower your kids to be like, listen, we've given you this information. Now go use it without us telling you what to do all the time. Yeah. No, it's a really good point. And it's so true, right? I mean, we don't want to create robots and we want autonomous players. We want players that can think on their own. Some of the, some of like the, the methodology is, is conducive to that. So when we have, when we talk about a game, right? Playing games, which is about, you know, we want to play games like probably 40 to 60% of our training. So let's just put, you know, put that into a number, right? Where we're playing games, whether it's four v four, you know, to four goals or or eleven v eleven or ninety nine, and in those, you know, kind of how we want to be is we want to we want to see the players own that time, right? And we want to see them, 
you know, we could give them some rules. Here's the, here's how you score. Here's how you do this. Now you, you figure out the problem, right? Whereas, you know, if it's all directive, 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 right? Then they lose some of that decision-making quality, right? Um, that doesn't mean that we don't coach them in, hey, these are good decisions or this is an idea or whatever else, but, but we're very careful with that, right? And we want players with flair. We want players with personality. You know, we, we encourage our guys to, to take chance on the dribble, especially when you have guys that are special dribblers, right? Or special abilities that you can't, you can't stifle that. You know, you want to, you want to celebrate that. So we talk a lot about it, you know, and, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully that will, that'll pay off for us with, uh, yeah. I think that's, that's your bit on culture too. You're trying to create an opportunities for these kids to play, which I can see from you and and tab as well. So yeah. Awesome. Great stuff. My, my, my follow-up, Paul, this is me, uh, this is things I've learned and, and since you're in the trenches and you're living it and you've seen it for so many years, I'm, I'm fascinated. And again, I thank you for your time for coming on the show. High school. There's been a big push against playing high school. And what I think is missed out on this whole process of saying, oh, you know what? I'm just going to play DA. I'm only going to play now this new MLS development league. You know, I'm going to stay away from high school. Well, there's some social stuff that goes in, right? Because you're missing out on playing for your school and, and playing with your friends and, and all these things. And now they think that you're big time in them. So now you've got this little bit of an arrogance and elitism to you, which is never a good vibe to have when you're at school. But more than that, that's off the field. On the field, you have this opportunity now to figure out how you're going to win games with players that aren't as good as you. How do you do that? And you don't get to teach that skill if you're playing DA games where everybody's just as good as you are. How do you learn that leadership skill? How do you get, out of, how do you get something out of your weakest link? A guy that can't really pass the ball. How do you get him to somehow help you win a game? We miss out on these incredible intangibles that high school, I think, provides. And yes, there is an elevated chance of getting hurt because a lot of those guys can't control their bodies and don't know. I get it. I get all of that. But you also then learn how to protect yourself. When I was coming through high school, I went and played men's league because it got me tougher and because some guy gave me 10 bucks for for food. And I was totally excited about that. But (laughs) but uh, (laughs) but but. They didn't care about the, the the I was the young gringo that they just wanted a two foot if I got too big for myself, if I was holding on to the ball too long. Like you yeah. learn all these real important skills that you might not get if you're just staying in this bubble uh, of an academy system. So I, I wonder in some ways how you address that and, and how you develop these leaders who might not they can kind of see it like bubbling under the surface that they want to be leaders, but they don't necessarily know how to do it. But they would be forced to if they were playing high school or, or playing in men's leagues. Hmm. I stumped Paul. All right. Podcast is <laughs> over, everybody. We're good. I, I it's really it's really an interesting question. I, I would say, you know, you, you have to weigh the, the weigh it back and forth. So that you got that, you got those maybe those advantages, right? But then what what's on the backside of it, right? Of the, the consistency, the day in, day out, the the real, you know because you still have to learn all that other stuff in a, in a great way. Right. So can you take those advantages and, and place them into this systematic approach where you're really, you know, you got the best, right. The best mm-hmm, of both. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, um, we can still create leaders in here, right. We can create guys that take a team on their shoulder and, you know, there's still going to be differences in levels. 
right? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's going to be a top guy that you're going to buy, you know, give him a little private conversation. Listen, man, you got to, yeah, take this game over, right? Yeah. Just like you would in a high school situation. So, but, but I know what you're talking about, right? And there is something about that, that freedom and that street ballness and that kind of taking it on yourself, right? But tell you what, I mean, there's also something about being in an unbelievable environment every day yeah. where you're around yeah. top players every sure. day. Yeah. And you're pushing each other, you know. For sure. Yeah. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time. This is this has been fantastic, and we want to check in with you hopefully in, in the next you know, five or six months just to see how the academy's doing and and uh, how everything's yeah, going. Yeah, for sure. I, I do have one Lee Hancock story. Oh no, here we go. Bring it on. <laughs> I don't know if Lee told you, but we go way back, um, back to ODP. I, I told them we were going to tell the story. Do, do wait, you want to tell the story? Wait, you guys are players? To, no, we were, are, we were coaches. Coaches, okay. Young, I mean, 20, 27, 8, 9, probably. So this is Lee yeah. with hair. Hair. Lee has hair at this point. Well, I'm, I might have dyed it platinum blonde. But that's a whole other show. That's a whole other show. No, I, I think I was, a, I think it was a, a two blade. Now it's straight up razor in the shower. Like leather, like red leather. <clears throat> Yeah, no, that that, that's when I met Lee, and I remember Lee, and I don't know if you remember this, but I for sure do. We we were in McMinnville, right, at Linfield College, and Mm -hmm. and we were, you know, they have their little football stadium there, and then they have their dorms. But dude, we were we were grinding like in the morning, afternoon, everything else, and then I remember that one day we took a nap, right. Well, so this is well, first of all, we both went in. You were you were on the top bunk, and I was on the bottom bunk. Yeah, and, and I looked up, and I'm like, so I'm like, yeah, we'll open up the window. I'm like, I'm so tired. You're like, I'm so tired, and we both zonked out for what seemed like hours, and we both woke up at the same time. You know, we had stuff on the side of the mouth, and I looked at him, and he, he leaned over the side. And he goes, "Best nap ever." And I said, <laughs> Best nap ever, and to this day. I don't know if that was the best nap I've ever had in my life. <laughs> so that's uh, that's how we met. Yep, I learned. There's, I learned a lot there. There's a lot to unpack there. Sure, you guys were on different bunks. I got you. <laughs> Go, Paul and Lee, you guys are uh, yeah, you guys are amazing. Again, thank you so much for your time. We'll have to do it again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. Well, fun fact: I always love great nap stories. I just wish they were my own because I could definitely use one these days. So I'm a little bit jealous. Anyway, I'm calling an end to this episode. So thank you for listening, as always. And as a token of your appreciation for all the free therapy that we believe we're giving you, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and follow us. That would mean a lot. Also, be on the lookout for me and Lee in our trunks in the next episode of Jimmy Conrad Needs a Doctor because we're taking a dive into the warm waters of choice, the growth mindset, and ethics in sports. It's a good one. We'll see you then. Thank you.